One of the things that we do here each Sunday yes, is we yes. have a little mantra yes. that you repeat after me. So if you have your Bibles, hold those up. You're doing much I'm better. I'm a child Very of God. Proud of you. Very good. Having my hand. Hopefully, the powerful got word a of God. Hug or some kind, at least it can change lives, heal broken now, hearts, going to and save man's soul. That we started Lord Jesus, today about life. Speak questions. to me. In Jesus' name. And this week we're going to talk about Amen. what is true. Okay, high five, pound your neighbor, John, or give them a hug, the or John, all three. Would you do that gospel real quick? John chapter eight. And stand up right quick because we haven't hugged and howdy yet, have Add away. So would you take just a moment? If you have your Bibles, John, Jeff, you want to you turn there and hold it while we're doing uh, this? That and, time, that would be great. Uh, you guys, uh, no. In fact, Phyllis, where'd Phyllis go? Where'd she During go? the trial of Jesus, Phyllis, get up there and play something. My Governor, goodness, this is time for Phyllis to play. Pilot, and we'll sing at the end of whatever she chooses. Interrogate okay? Jesus. But greet those around you in the love of the Lord this morning. Amen. Jesus affirmed <coughs> the spiritual nature of His kingdom. Pilate then answered, what is truth? There is a lot of uncertainty today about what truth is. When England closed its Libyan embassy, Muammar Gaddafi became very angry. So much so that he ordered England to be removed from all maps in Libya. If you buy a map in that country today, that area that we know of as England will be represented by a new arm of the North Sea bordered by Scotland and Wales. So he just wiped them off the map. But that's supposed to be truth to them, huh? Today, we're going to take a look at some issues related to truth. We're going to look at some Scripture but any study you do of truth provides some unique problems. The first one is, how do you define it? How do you define truth? If you survey common definitions, you'll see what I mean. Dictionary.com defines truth as the actual state of matter in conformity with reality. Wikipedia defines it to be in accord with fact or reality. Merriam-Webster Dictionary says, Fidelity, constancy, fact, actuality. We want to focus on the one definition and understanding of the facts that correspond to reality. The second problem of inconsistency in the approach to determining truth is found in the physical realm as opposed to the metaphysical why do we demand concrete truth in the physical realm but deny absolute truth in the spiritual realm? Now for some today, you're going to say, Woo, preacher, you're way, you're way up here. Stay with me because I'll bring you back down here toward the end, all right? So if you want to zone out and go forward and nap, nap on me, I'll wake you up at the end. I'm just teasing. This is really important information. It's really important that we hear about this today. Because we've got to define and decide where truth does come from. Because once we decide, it makes all the difference in the world. And parents and grandparents, you need to understand this so you can work with your kids. Because they're not going to get this at high school, grade school, or in college. 
they're going to get the counter to it. So we need to, we need to be informed ourselves. But we want truth in the physical realm to be concrete and fixed. There's no room for broad-mindedness in a chemical laboratory. Water is composed of two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. You, you can't deviate from that. If you want to, it won't, they won't let you. The same holds true in biology, athletics, and mechanics. But we want truth in the metaphysical realm to be fluid, non-factual, morally neutral, open to interpretation. We hold this position because spiritual realities make moral judgments about right and wrong. If we get God out of the equation or Jesus out of the equation, then that takes care of what I'm doing. But if I have God and Jesus to deal with and I have forgiveness and I have sin to deal with, then it makes a difference in what I do and how I behave and carry myself. The third problem that we see in defining truth is there's a lack of consensus on what truth is. Much of the discussion is based on philosophical questions. What makes something true? How do we know what we know? Well, in the verse that we read earlier in John 8, 32, there's, there's several powerful things contained within that verse. Once again, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We looked at last week, does God exist? And if we believe that God exists, then we should ask, has He spoken? And while this message is just a survey of some prevailing thoughts about the source of truth, I want to affirm to you that God's Word has a message of love to this world. And that's truth. The Bible doesn't just contain truth, it is the truth. But there's four popular views related to that. The first one is the secular view. And that says, truth is perspective. It's been said that how you perceive something makes it true to you. Some have suggested that we operate this way, and the basis for their approach is personal opinion. In other words, my opinion is more valid than anybody else's opinion because I've read 20 books and you've only read five. So I've read 20, you read five, so my opinion is stronger than yours because I have more information. What information are you using? What information are you putting out there? There's a vast difference between truth and the perception of truth. A survey was done <coughs> a few years ago by the American Health Association. It was learned that 40% of overweight men thought they looked fine and felt they were about the right weight. In contrast to that, 29% of women who were not overweight at all felt they needed to lose pounds to achieve a healthy body weight. Both groups were operating under the same perception of truth rather than truth itself. My wife reminds me constantly how old I am. She says, you are not young anymore. And my body is finally convincing me, you're right. She's right. Listen. But both viewpoints were operating on perception as being the truth. 
But that approach can vary in two ways. One is related to consensus. The idea that the majority opinion of a cultural group determines the truthfulness of something. The notion, this notion paved the way for Hitler. The majority can trample the minority even if something is not actually true. You see it all the time. All you got to do is get a rumor started. And the rumor grows. And that growth in rumor then can destroy the life of somebody even though it was a lie. Then there's relativism and spiritual ethics, or situational ethics, excuse me. And the idea of relativism has been summarized by this popular phrase, hey, it's truth for me. It works for me. It's what I desire. It's what I want. And boy, we live there today, don't we? <laughs> it's not about you. It's about what, or it's about others. It's about what you want now and right now. How do I know that? Pull into McDonald's. And they're going to tell you what to eat, right? Well, they give some long spiel about, would you like to try yada, 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 and then you, you don't want that. You want something else. We all know that we shouldn't eat McDonald's. How many raise your hands? How many of you know you shouldn't eat there? How many of you, however, push that aside? Come on, come on. I know you don't like McDonald's. Sonic? Burger King? Pizza? Hugo's? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting hungry just talking about it. <laughs> But we get caught up embracing relativism and it lacks objective standards by which to determine the truth. Truth to these people is simply an, ex an issue of, ex of expedience. The secularist person believes that truth changes. But I'm here to say to you that you need to go to your bank tomorrow and let them know that you are not overdrawn. Let them know that that loan that you took out with them really has been paid for. What is wrong with them? And you're not going to pay them any more money and see how broad-minded they are. It's this approach to truth that's led to the notion that every view, concept, or idea should be tolerated and respected even if it's patently wrong. And besides that, the secularist attacks those that make exclusive claims, especially Christianity. It's not uncommon to read of the attacks by secularists in the media. Last October, USA Today published an article by Tom Crattenmaker about the dangers of Christianity invading the sports arena. Listen to this. Jesus' representatives in sports aren't just practicing faith. This exclusiveness sometimes morphs into a form of chauvinism. Tim Tebow should be seen as one who promotes a form of belief that makes unwelcome judgments about everyone else's religion. Don't let Tim Tebow stand up and be a Christian. You put him in a box. The NCAA made a ruling that athletes in the college ranks in the NCAA cannot wear scriptures written on their black uh, markers underneath their eyes. They can't do it this year. Why? Because Tim Tebow did it. 
when he wrote John 3.16 under his eyes, the next day on, Monday, on Sunday, Google had more searches for John 3.16 than they had anything for the whole year. There's two things that are exciting. One is they're looking to Scripture, but the sad part is they didn't know what it meant. Wow. Then there's the spiritual approach. Truth is tradition. The basis of this approach is religious mysticism. Our world is full of religions. Each one of them claims to possess the truth. And our so-called tolerant society tells us that they are all right. The argument goes like this. All religions are basically teaching the same thing. But we need to ask, is that statement really true? Because there's two things that you know about that statement. One is both claims are false, or one is false and one is true. Which is it for you? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Consider the comparisons between the monotheistic system of belief and the polytheistic... Boy, those are great big words. This took me all week to learn those. Monotheistic is what Judaism, Christianity, and Islam believes. They follow one leader. Polytheistic belief is that of the Hinduism and Shintoism. Anomalism. These have multiple gods within their belief system. Paul addressed those folks, didn't he? In Mars Hill in Athens. I perceive you're a religious people. But I want to focus on the, the unknown God. That's right. And tell you more about Him. Then there's a scientific approach. Truth is facts. The basis for that approach is verifiable empirical data. Scientists will not believe God because they can't put Him in a test tube. They can't test Him. They can't run Him by certain criteria to make it work. Many view science as an infallible God. Christians fear questioning the findings of science because we'll be viewed as uninformed. But we must be careful because science has some inherent weaknesses when it comes to declaring truth. When we must guard against assuming that scientists are unbiased and neutral in dealing with data. Scientists, despite their claim to the contrary, are usually influenced by professional biases, political correctness, atheistic and evolutionary worldviews that blind their thinking. Even though the scientific approach can discover certain facts about our world, it cannot make any moral judgments in regard to the facts that it has. Scientific truth does not necessarily affect human behavior. How do I know that? You ever heard anybody say, a, a drug addict say, hey, I was reading a math book and man, I got right off of drugs. You ever heard anybody uh, say, uh, man, I was reading my biology book and decided to stop lying. <laughs> might have increased your lying after you read biology. But there are limits to the collection of data. Science cannot know everything. Especially regarding the metaphysical or spiritual arena. They can talk all they want about this Big Bang. They can talk all they want about evolution. But something had to get it all started. It just makes sense to me. It's a faith-driven issue on both sides of the fence, isn't it? So which one do you want to go to? I want to go to the one that makes sense to me. I want to go to the one that makes sense. Here's a great example. Global warming. 
Oh, we're already dividing the church in half. Global warming. The theory is accepted by the large scientific community as fact, but what if the data moves away from the theory? What is a scientist to do with his or her truth or facts? Because the hottest year recorded so far was 1998. For the last 11 years, 12 years, the temperature has cooled. So now what do you do with that? What do you do if it doesn't fit? Hmm. Then the last approach is the scriptural approach, and that is truth is a person, and this is where I want to focus our time. We're asking, has God spoken? And if He has spoken, what did He say? Well, let me tell you, you said a lot. I've selected just a few, few verses for us to consider. There are numerous verses to consider. But the first one is that is found again in John 8.32. Actually, the first three items deal out of John 8.32 because there's such a powerful statement in that verse. Because it says in John 8.32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, it simply states objective truth exists. Objective truth exists. It's also called propositional truth. We believe that just as we can uh, boldly assert mathematical truth, we can affirm spiritual truth. And the truth exists independent of whether you accept it or not. It's there. The second in that verse is the absence of truth creates bondage. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it must be setting you free from something. Obviously, this bondage is spiritual. So you're set free from spiritual bondage. The third way that I would show you in a scriptural approach is the application of truth will liberate. Again, let's look at that verse. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. You ever been set free from something? I had prayer with Kim and Peggy the night before her procedure. Anxious, concerned. We always say the words, but everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be okay. But there's always that little unknown, isn't there? Until the procedure's done and the doctor has the report and she quickly gets the report back and the doctor says, no cancer. What do you think she did? Oh, I was so hoping that it would have hung on a little longer. Right? Oh, I was just so glad that... So you didn't get all of it? Okay, that's, that's awesome. That, that's, that's great. Because that, I was getting really partial. No. He said, no cancer. I got a text pretty quick. Hey, 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 hey! <laughs> she was excited to know she'd been set free. From the bondage of those thoughts, right? There you go. Guess what? You can find that same freedom at the cross. We've got all of our red pieces of paper still attached to the cross that you filled out. None of you put your name on them, but I hope you'll come up and read some of those. And you'll see some of the sins that we're all fighting together. Because the good news is, is folks, it's there. He took care of them. Let it go. Let it go. It's gone. Oh, yeah, but preacher, you don't know. I don't understand. Let it go. Let it go. Surrender that to God. 
surrender it to God. Objective truth exists. The absence of truth creates bondage. The application of truth liberates. And then fourthly, in John 17 and verse 17, we see God's Word is truth. It says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your Word, which is truth. Four things I would have you take away from that verse of Scripture. Number one, God has spoken. Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, what's the next word? God. It doesn't say... Somebody showed up. <laughs> In the beginning, God. That's all you got. That's it. That's all you got to know. And when you come to grips with that, and when you answer the question about God, the rest of it will fall into place. Well, how can a loving God? Don't go there. How can a gracious God? Don't go there. Because most of the things that we experience in life happen because of the evil one that we battle. And or the evil one that's still running loose in here. There's where our battle lies right here. It's surrendering the items. It's surrendering the message. It's surrendering the whole life to Jesus Christ. God has spoken. Secondly, God desires to communicate with us. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word. Thirdly, God's communication is consistent with His nature. Because teach them your word, which is, what does He say? Truth. Number four, God breathes His word into existence. You don't have to worry about it. When you're in school or you're in college and teachers are telling you that God doesn't exist, you stand on the truth of the word of God. You see, as a young person, they can't stop you from doing that. They can't. Oh, they can write F's all over your paper, but they can't stop God. And they won't stop Him. People think that we're going to stop God. They're not going to stop Him. We outnumber them. <laughs> we godly people outnumber them. That's why in Second Chronicles 7.14, He doesn't say, well, when all the whole United States of America... It doesn't start off with saying, if the houses of Congress. It doesn't start out by saying, if the White House. It doesn't start out by saying, if every major leader in the world. It says, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, seek my face and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. He's waiting for His people to do it. Tells me something, doesn't it? Tells you something. Should. Maybe some of us need to spend some time at the cross and not write it on a piece of paper, <laughs> but spend some extended time. But here's the last reason that spiritual truth works it's Jesus embodies truth. John 14 6, the most exclusive statement in the scripture. It is not an inclusive thing. Not everybody's going to get to go. Because if you are not living, embodying, relationally with John 14, 6, you've got a deep issue. John 14, 6 says, and say it with me, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's an exclusive statement.
You can't get there by worshiping grass. You can't get there by hoping that it all works out. You can't get there by putting money in the plate. You can't get there by being faithful. You can only get there through a relationship with Jesus Christ, which then will drive the other things. Out of an attitude of gratitude, I, I do what I do and bear fruit for God. Amen? That's what we should be about. The worship team coming to help me close. I want to finish with the story of Lou Wallace. Lou Wallace was a governor of New Mexico. Wrote a book, or was going to write a book against Jesus Christ, and in the process was converted to Christianity, and he told a friend how it happened. I had always been an agnostic and denied Christianity, Wallace said. Robert C. Ingersoll, a famous agnostic, was one of the most intimate friends that he had. He once said, see here, Wallace, you are a learned man and thinker. Why don't you gather material and write a book to prove the falsity concerning Jesus Christ that no such man had ever lived, much less the author of the teachings found in the New Testament? Such a book would make you famous. It would be a masterpiece and a way of putting an end to the foolishness about this so-called Christ. Wallace went home and told his wife about his new project. She was a member of the Methodist church and really didn't like the idea. But Wallace began to collect material from libraries all over the world that covered the period in which Jesus Christ had lived and should have lived. He did that for several years and then began writing. He was four chapters into the book when he says it became clear to him that Jesus Christ was just as real a personality as Socrates, Plato, or Caesar. The conviction became a certainty I knew that Jesus Christ had lived because of the facts connected with the period in which He lived. So he asked himself candidly, if He was a real person, was He not then also the Son of God and the Savior of the world? Gradually, Lou Wallace realized that since Jesus Christ was a real person, He probably was the one He claimed to be. I fell on my knees, he says, to pray for the first time in my life, and I asked God to reveal Himself to me, Forgive my sins. Help me to become a follower of Christ. Toward morning, the light broke into my soul. I went into my bedroom, woke up my wife and told her I'd received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. She said, Oh, Lou, I have prayed for this ever since you told me of your purpose for writing this book, that you would find Him while you wrote it. Wallace went on to write a famous book, and every time you watch the epic film Ben-Hur, based on that book, you wonder at how it was written by a man who wanted to disprove that Jesus ever existed and instead became convinced that He was the greatest man who ever lived. What is truth? John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Father, we ask you this morning as we prepare to sing a hymn of invitation, a song of invitation. God, would you be real in the lives of your people here this morning? Would they sense your presence here today? And God, we're grappling with some deep thinking things during this month. And today was no exception because the world around us tells us that we can't just believe and have faith. Because that can't be true. And yet, Father, people wouldn't give their lives 
wouldn't be beheaded, wouldn't hang upside down on the cross, wouldn't, wouldn't be stoned to death if they didn't believe that you were real. Thank you for men like Lou Wallace who set out to disprove that you exist only to find out that you love them with an everlasting love. Perhaps, God, there's someone here today that needs to learn that and needs to respond to you in that way. That you love us with an everlasting love. That you love us no matter what our past looks like. That we can't clean up enough to get to you. We simply come and the cleaning process begins. So God, if you're moving in someone today, give them courage to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this great song together. 